Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This week's sermon is Pentecost, the celebration of the birthday of the church. Join us as we go into Acts 2, the story of the first Pentecost, and we see and understand this nature of the language of faith. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe using their favorite podcast, your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you are feeling generous of leaving us a donation via our giving link to help support the mission and ministry that God is doing right here through Beach Grove United Methodist Church. And we invite you to find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all of the fun things happening, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. This week's scripture lesson comes from the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews, on all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And listen to what I have to say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would continue to unlock this nature of what it means to be the church in this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So this is like the penultimate passage of our nature of the church. This is really where the nature of the first begins to be first defined, at least in a narrative style in scripture. Whether 
we take into account when these words were actually recorded. If we are reading the narrative of Scripture, that is, we are reading the Gospels, then we are reading Acts, and then we are reading the letters of Paul, this is the point of Scripture where the nature of the church begins to be defined. And it is in this point where we begin to unlock what it means to be the church. In a commentary I read this week, it asked the question, is this, is Pentecost the birthday of the church? Maybe. Or maybe that's when the church learned to walk on its own. Maybe that's when, empowered by fire and wind, the church spoke on its own, but used words learned from the one who gave it life. When I saw this quote, I, I, I knew that this really encapsulated this nature of Pentecost. Not because of the wind, not because of the fire, but because of the words. Because words are the most central part of our faith. Right? If we look at the story of Scripture that is before us today, we see what we might want to consider the beginning of the organized church. Right? Paul's first Episcopal sermon. The first converts to Christianity, if we continue reading on in chapter 2. I think when we look and try and put these labels and identities on this scripture, it fails to capture the full breadth of what is actually happening in this text. Yes, it begins to help us to understand what is happening. It names what we see happening, right? The, the first time we see an organized understanding of church, the first time we hear Peter preach a sermon, the first time that we see new converts to the faith, right? We can put names and titles on this passage, and yet there's so much more that is happening below the surface. And that's because from this event, from this event, disciples, members, Folks who are a part of God's kingdom will go forth and begin to do the work that God is calling them to do. They're going to take this mysterious message that they have received, and they will go forth in the witness of the resurrection that they have gained over the last 50 days. Right? This, this event started, it started something. But it also continued the work that God had always been doing throughout the, throughout the world. And the cool thing is that it started with words. It all started with speech. It all started with language. With the church learning how to speak the language of God. Really taking on and latching on to the words that God, through the Spirit, had given to them. With the Holy Spirit coming down and redefining what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the kingdom of God, to be God's people, and to giving them the words and the speech necessary to be able to talk about it. Right, when we get to this point in the scripture text, no longer is this message only meant for those handful of folks who are in the upper room. More than a handful, about a hundred or so. But no longer is it just them. Right, the Spirit has called them to open the doors, to welcome those with ears who can hear, to those with eyes who can see, to those with feet who can walk. 
And if we view the Spirit as the main actor in this scripture, then we look and we see the way in which language becomes the main theme. And the way in which this language becomes spoken and understood and heard by the people who are receiving it. The Holy Spirit, the speaker of language, the facilitator of conversation, helps us to understand what it means to believe, what it means to be people of faith, what it means to understand, to know, to look at this language of faith, to be able to not just interpret, but to be able to live it. And we see this because we see this language that the Spirit calls those in the upper room to speak is understood not by any one group, not by any one class, not by any one person, but, friends, by the entirety of those who hear it. Right? I mean, listen to that list again. Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. Parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Do you know how big that section of the world is at that point in time that I just named? That is like the entirety of the southern part of Europe that Rome ruled in the day. Greece, all the way into modern day Turkey, into the Middle East down into northern Africa. These are all people who have come into Jerusalem for one reason or another. Hear this great sound and are drawn in when they begin to hear the Spirit speaking through the disciples. What other response do we have than amazement at that? Right? We're told right there in Scripture that they were amazed. Yeah, some folks try and write it off by trying to say, oh, they're just drunk. And then Peter says that it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, which I find hilarious because, like, they don't actually have clocks in this time. So, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, friends, it's 9 o'clock. Like, we haven't started our mimosas yet. You gotta wait to ten till brunch. Mid morning, right? It's it's the morning, and these people have woken up, and they are hearing this great sound, and they are amazed at this sound because they can understand this message. They can hear the language that God is speaking to speak. They can know and understand the witness because God has put the words on the hearts of those disciples who are gathered in the upper room. And this becomes the language of faith. This becomes the language of how other folks know and understand who God is. That they can know and understand the message of Jesus Christ through these individuals. And this is the way that the church grows legs and begins to walk on its own. Because up until this time, the church, the way that we would have understood the church, was so tied to the resurrection of Christ and the resurrected figure of Christ. That when Christ ascended, the church needed new legs. The church needed a new way to be called out into the world. And we see it in the way that Jesus preaches to his disciples when he says, you know, I'm going to leave, but there's going to be one who is not just going to, to, to be with inside of you, to give you this language, but 
this one, this advocate, this spirit that will come down upon you will take you out into the world. Will pull you into the world to go and to share about not just me, not just Jesus, but to share about the kingdom and to invite others to be a part of it. And so we begin to wonder and know what becomes the barrier for the kingdom in that meaning. What becomes the barrier for the disciples beginning to talk about who Jesus is, about who God is? And so they begin to know and understand the language that they are called to speak. You know, we've been spending this Easter season talking about witness. Witness, what it means to speak about something. Something that we have seen ourselves. Which can seem kind of difficult because none of us actually saw the resurrection. And yet the cool thing about our faith is that we can still provide a witness to it. Because spiritually, we have experienced the resurrection. Spiritually, we have experienced who Jesus Christ is, and we have experienced the Spirit. And the presence of the Spirit as part of our witness is a vital part of how we talk about God. We can talk about God without the Spirit. Right? If I didn't believe in God, I could still talk about God. But as someone who believes in God, who believes in Jesus, it gives me a language to be able to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the Spirit in a different way. It opens my eyes to who God calls us to be, and it opens our eyes to how we are called to live and speak as the church. And it's shown right here in this passage. Because it's not just, it's not God just calling those who are in the upper room. It's not a message that is reserved just for those who can hear the word of God in Aramaic or Hebrew. But it is a word of God that is meant for all of those who can understand their own language and hear that language of faith. And I think this is a message when we start looking at our modern day church, our modern way of living as the church, that we need to know and understand because it invites us to consider the way that the church can be a part of the healing of creation rather than continuing to work in this way of harming. Because whether we like it or not, when we look at the modern day church, if you run a survey and start talking to people, you will hear people being hurt by the church. People being burned by the church. And yet, when we come in and we, we understand this language of faith, when we see the way that God is talk, calling us to interact, to be with other people, we see the way in which the, the language of faith boils down to this understanding of love, of God's love, of God's grace, mercy, and peace that is instilled within each and every one of us, and that is shared from our own ministry. 
It breaks my heart to hear that the church has been involved in causing harm and in causing pain. Because right here from the very beginning, it is meant to cause grace. It is meant to reconcile. It is meant to redeem. It is meant to be a part of the good in the world. The language that created the church, that gave it legs, is something that is meant to be shared. And when the Spirit comes, it is not only the ones who can speak the language of the Galileans, but all are able to understand, and all are welcome to come and hear the message that Peter is offering. Friends, we are called to speak this language. We are called to be a part of a church that is bigger than any single one of us. We are called to be a part of the church that reaches out, that cares, that loves, and that offers all that God offers to each and every one of us. The language of faith is for all to hear. It's the language of God through Christ and the Spirit. And now here comes the difficult part, because we so often want to attach words, right? And I say this as someone who their job is about words. I have to come up here and offer you words on a weekly basis. Y'all probably wouldn't appreciate it if I just came up here and st stood here for about 15 minutes. You should try it I don't think I could do it. I, I, I don't. I, at some point in time, I'd have to say something. Right? Doesn't have, there's not a particular set of words. It's not something that is laid out before us that I just say over and over again, but it's a theme. It's an idea. It's a nature of who we are called to be as a church. We are called to be community. We are called to be together. We are called to be a kingdom. We are called to love. We are called to reach out. We are called to be a part of something that's greater and bigger than our individual selves. And so when we seek to reach out to the world, we seek to do it in that same breath, in that same understanding. The love that is encapsulated in this message of the resurrection, in this ministry, in this understanding of who Christ is. And when we look at this witness, we begin to know, understand, and place ourselves within its narrative. It's more about recognizing and placing ourselves within this story within the story of God, rather than trying to feel ourselves worthy enough to even approach God in the first place. Because our witness, everything we have done, everything we do, everything we are, is based on what God has already done for us. Not on anything that God will ever do for us in the future. It's based on where we've been. So that we can continue to move forward. Right? This isn't the heart of our Methodist, of our Wesleyan theology. Right? We, we in, the, in the Methodist church, in the Wesleyan tradition, believe in something called pervenient grace. We can believe that God's grace works in a pervenient manner. This means that God's grace is present before we ever acknowledge it. Friends, we are going to have an infant baptism today. This infant cannot even speak words, and yet we are welcoming it into God's kingdom. What a great and wonderful testimony to the understanding of God's grace. And because God's grace works in a pervenient manner, we believe that even before we know and understand God's love, God's love is there. And friends, when we make that commitment ourselves, 
We're not accepting God's love. We're not accepting God's love. Because God's love is there whether we like it or not. It's all around us. I have to sometimes tell some of my friends who are atheist and agnostic, I'm like, you know what, man? God still loves you. God still loves each and every one of us. Because God loves us. We don't accept God's love, but we acknowledge that God's love is there. That is what sets us apart. That's what invites us into the kingdom. That's what begins to move us in this parallel relationship with who God is. And it begins to help us to know and understand the language of faith that God calls us to be a part of. And so it brings us into this understanding of God continually covering us with grace. There's been this way and nature to the language of faith that finds who we are and how we are called to go out to the world. And so it's not words. I wish I could tell you the right thing to say all the time. But friends, about 95% of the time, I say the wrong thing. Now, everybody I say a sermon is good. I'm kidding. I mean... But it helps us to know, to understand, and to learn how to develop our own faith. That's to say that I even get it wrong sometimes. Sometimes even your pastor gets the language of faith wrong. And that's because we are constantly in this process of developing, knowing, and understanding who God calls us to be. It's more than the words we speak. It's the lives that we live. It's the ways in which we reach out. It's the ways in which we interact with other people in this world. It is the way that others see God's kingdom, see Jesus, understand and receive the Spirit in and through everything that we do. That is the way that we speak, that we convey, that we live this language of faith. I mean, if we follow this story, if we follow everywhere that we've been as we look in the book of Acts this, this Easter season, we see the language lived out. Right? Whether it's in Saul being transformed on the road to Damascus. Whether it's in the work of Peter and the early disciples of helping folks know and understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's all about conveying this language. Uh, and so as all sermons should, uh, at least in my opinion, I've probably left you with more questions than answers, right? I usually, I've been accused of that before. So let me try and answer probably one of the most prevalent questions, and then you can ask more after the sermon. <coughs> How do we learn this language? How do we convey this language? And in doing that, we put aside our own language. Right? I put aside the language of Andrew. That doesn't mean that I stop speaking English, because if I stop speaking English, friend God and I have nothing else. Not for a lack of trying. But in laying aside our own language, we must understand the language of God is not always the language of humans. The way in which I live is called to be within this understanding and relationship of who God calls us to be. 
When we grasp the enormous nature of who God is, we develop a different language that helps us to truly speak, speak of God and not just about God. To speak with God. To live with God. To love with God. To give with God. Right? Once we get out of our own way, once we start stop trying to do our own thing, to put our own rules on who God is, we begin to live as the people of the kingdom that God has called us to be. And then, we go and share it. We go and live it. We go and show it. Because the language is not about words, but it's about life. It's about the life-giving spirit that we are all given in this time. And so, how are we living? How are we speaking this language of faith? Amen.